We'll have our ushers come forward this morning for our offering. As they're coming, I want to remind you just a couple things. One, I think we just saw a powerful testimony of the way that God's word can work in someone's life. Um, and we praise God for that. And we, we know that God's work always does the work, uh, whether it's through preaching or through us sharing or whether it's just through an individual reading the word of God uh, on his own or her own. It, it's a work that, that God's word does. It's powerful. And so uh, this is a good ministry. On, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we'll be collecting for that at the end of the service. Uh, I also just want to mention that and have us continue to remember Barry Porter, who was with us here uh, two Wednesdays ago, uh, and just have you lift him up for prayer that the Lord would meet their needs financially, that they would be able to make it to uh, the Republic of Georgia. So pray with me this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we are so grateful, Lord, that your word has been brought to us. Your word is living and active. Your word is a, a regenerating, a life-giving, a cleansing word, and we're recipients of that. Lord, we, we thank you for those who have gone before us and, and who have brought the word to us. We thank you for the work that it's done in our lives, and we pray uh, this morning that your word would do a work in our hearts. Lord, we pray for any who are here this morning who don't know Christ, we, we pray that they would be washed and cleansed by your word. We pray this morning uh, that, that for those of us who do know Christ, who have been saved, that, that we would continue uh, to be cleansed and to be sanctified through your word. Lord, we pray for this offering that we take this morning. We, we pray that that would enable us to continue this ministry here and to support other ministries, other missionaries, other works that are seeking to, to faithfully proclaim your word. Lord, we just pray that you would use it in that way, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, take your Bibles this morning. That's really loud. we got a new microphone here that we're working with. So uh, take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Ephesians. Our kids can head out there for Children's Church. Ephesians chapter 5, in the last song that we just sang, uh, is a song that goes very well with the text of Scripture that we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, but it's going to be talking about uh, the way that Christ loves the church. And part of the purpose for his sacrificing himself for the church was that he would cleanse her uh, by the washing of uh, water with the word. So let's look beginning at Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22. We'll read what we covered last week. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without any spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his 
body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. There's a line of thinking in our broader culture today uh, about Christian or biblical, the biblical view of marriage, and it's, it's a greatly damaging uh, line of thinking because primarily because it's so horrendously inaccurate. The thought goes like this. The, the Christian view of marriage and the roles of husbands and wives is essentially the same uh, as ancient views of marriage. What we have in the Bible is just simply uh, a spiritualized form of ancient patriarchal society. The Bible just picked that up, and that's what we get in, in the Bible. The, the Bible adopts ancient views of, of marriage. Those marriages were, were abusive and could be very harsh uh, and hard on women. It treated women, it denigrated women, the, their dignity and their, their intelligence. And since then, the Bible basically took those ancient views and spiritualized them, claiming uh, these oppressive views had divine origins, we should then just discard what the Bible says about marriage and, well, sexuality and, and a lot of other things as, as well. Whatever else we do with everything else in the Bible, whatever you want to do with all that other stuff, listen, we need to get beyond the biblical views of men and women and sexuality and marriage. It's just oppressive. And, and it's rooted in ancient patriarchal society. That, that, as I said, is a very damaging view, and, and it's damaging in particular in this way. It's damaging because it's inaccurate. The Bible does not simply recapitulate the ancient views of, of marriage. It doesn't just pick up what was in its culture and say, this is what God says that we should, to, should do. Hopefully we began to to sort of debunk that idea last week by dispelling some of the myths about uh, submission within the roles of marriage. We saw, I think, a couple things that are really important. One, submission has boundaries. Submission has boundaries. And secondly, we saw that the leadership that husbands are called to uh, enact in, in the marriage uh, is a servant kind of leadership, the kind of leadership that Jesus redefined in his ministry when he said that the greatest among you, those who are leaders among you, will be as your servants. And so, yes, husbands are called to lead in their, in their marriages, uh, but that leadership is a servant kind of leadership. It's a redefined kind of leadership. It is not oppressive. I hope this week, as we sort of see the responsibilities of husbands in marriage, I think we can go even further in unhitching the biblical view from any notion that is simply a spiritualized form of ancient patriarchalism that is ruled by men. The call for Christian husbands to lay down their lives with the kind of love that we're seeing in this text is something that was simply unheard of in ancient cultures or really in modern culture for, for that matter. If we fear that the Christian ideal of marriage lends itself to abuse and oppression, it shows that we have not clearly seen what the Bible teaches about marriage. And so I would just challenge you this morning, don't let your view of, of or your concept of what the Christian view of marriage is be shaped by what skeptics are saying. 
And don't let it be shaped by the way it's been abused in the past. Uh, Don't let it be shaped by those things. Instead, let us come to the Word of God with fresh eyes, praying that the Spirit would illuminate the Word of God so that we might see the truth about what God says regarding husbands and wives. I just want to encourage you uh, this morning uh, that you don't have to be embarrassed about what the Bible says in regards to men and women and, and marriage. Listen, the Bible is the Word of God. And God is the fount of all wisdom. God is the creator who made marriage. And what we're seeing from his word is him describing the way it should be lived out. And and if that is reality, then we need to understand that what God created is good. God did not. God did not create something that was to be abused. God did not create an institution that was inherently oppressive. All right. And so we just need to step back and let's really dig into the text and let's see what the Word of God truly says. Here's what I think. I think that God made marriage and actually the closer that we get to His design for marriage, the more life-giving it is. It's not oppressive. It's not ugly and, and, and abusive as it has been portrayed. The closer that we get to God's ideal for marriage, the more beautiful and the more life-giving we see that it really is. I just think it's, it's just like Satan, isn't it? To, to distort. And so on one hand, he, he comes over here and, and, and he distorts God's picture for marriage by, by leading men into, uh, to be ab- abusive and, and oppressive. And then because he's a deceiver, he comes back on the other side after he's distorted and say, see, look how abusive and and, and oppressive this is. We need to just get rid of of marriage. But you see, Satan's working both angles in that because he's a master deceiver at the heart of who Satan is. He's a liar and a deceiver. So we just need to push back on that. Let's dig into God's word and let's see what what we have here. Husbands, uh, what we see uh, in, in, in this text is that we are called to love our wives in a way that reflects the matchless love that Christ has for his church. I want to give one caveat as I start this message. And you say, well, you're just starting. Yeah, uh, as I as I begin this message, uh, I've got a lot of room for improvement in this area. And I just want to confess that up front. As, as a preacher, you, you're always preaching things that you have not yet attained to. And uh, this is one of those areas that, that I'm not there. And so I'm reminded of the words of Paul who said, not that I've already obtained or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. And I just want to confess that as, as I start, as I was preparing this week, uh, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm all right. Sermon prep. We're going to dig into this. And I, I just had to put it down and go home and and talk to my wife. And uh, this is one area that you could pray for your pastors, probably all of us. I think all of us would say and, and pray for all the men in, in the church that we would be the kind of husbands that we see in this text. Now, Let's just uh, move beyond that because I'm not a big crier and I didn't really plan to do that. And I I just want to move on after that confession. Uh, 
the first thing that we see, what, what, what is it that the way that we're to love our wives? The, the first lo- thing that we see about this love is that husbands, uh, we are called to love our wives with a sacrificial love. You see, what, what Paul is saying here is, husbands, there, there's one command, love your wife, love your wife, love your wife. That's the command, that's, that's the one command that's given. Everything else is describing what that love looks like. And, and what he's saying here is that love is supposed to be reflective of the kind of love that Christ has for his church, his people, his bride. The Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ and he's got a love for his bride and our love for our brides, our love for our spouses should reflect the kind of love that Jesus has for his church. Now, we see here that the, the uh, expectation uh, itself is is not something I think that was commonly stressed uh, in this day and time. Uh, this was this was not something that was just picked up out of the culture. People in this days, it, it's hard to even find anything in ancient texts that lays any kind of responsibility on husbands to love their wives at all. I'm sure there were things that were said to to that effect, uh, but but have, husbands in this culture were very much seen as in control of their wives. And sometimes in places, wives were seen more as an asset uh, that their husband possessed uh, than anything, uh, than an equal partner in in marriage. Rarely were they seen as any kind of equal partner who was worthy of this kind of love. That that is just not what we find really anywhere in the world and certainly not in ancient cultures when, when the Bible was written. Now, obviously, some husbands did love their wives, and it's not as if the ancient world knew nothing of loving your wife. It's, it, I don't want to state too much when I, I'm saying that, uh, but in general, loving your wife was not on high on the priority list of, of what was being told about to, to men as, as far as what was expected of them. And even if some in the ancient world or in our day do understand the need to love your wife, the kind of love that that is called for in this text is something that is utterly unique to Christianity. You see, this is not an isolated event here. Uh, Husbands, love your wives. This is not something like, hey, that one time, remember how sacrificial I was towards you? This is something that husbands are to be doing on on an ongoing basis. This is the way that you are to live your lives in, in your marriage. You are to love your wives in this sacrificial way day by day by day. This is not just idealism either. Uh, this isn't something that, that happens only in movies or, or in books. This is something that is supposed to be a reality in Christian marriages in an ongoing kind of way. This isn't just like, oh, that's such a nice idea. Wouldn't it be so wonderful if husbands sacrificially loved their wives? No, men, this is what our love for our wives should look like. And there, there are no exceptions here. This is a universal command. Husbands... Love your wives as Christ loved the church. There's no asterisks there with little notes at the bottom of the page that say, except in these conditions in which God absolves you of not loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Obviously, in these situations, you get a pass on this command. There's no such statement like that. And there are many exceptions and excuses that people try to give, are there not, about why husbands don't love their wives. You, you just simply don't know my wife. You don't know how difficult she is and how hard it is 
to live with her. That's not one of the exceptions. There, there are no exceptions. See, some people say she's not the, the woman that I married. The woman that I married, we got along well. We had the same interests. But over time, she has changed. She's, she's different. And so many people say that in our day and time, right? You know, we, we were really in love when we were younger. And man, just time has, we've drifted apart. And so now it's okay for me to leave my spouse because we fell out of love. We, we don't have that anymore. She changed, I changed. And so the, the command for me to continue to love her obviously cannot be imposed upon me because she's not the same woman. That's not the case. We all are changing all the time. I'm very much different. We got married, I was 19, and Bonnie was 18. I'm a very different person at almost 40, 37. I, I'm starting to see 40 looming on, on the horizon there, and it's, it's not pretty. Uh, but I'm a very, very different person. Bonnie is a very different person. But, but that command doesn't go away, right? We, we learn, I, I like the way Keller talks about it in, in uh, the meaning of marriage. Uh, he talks about so much of marriage really is learning to love a stranger. It's learning to love somebody again and again because I'm, I'm sure we will change as Brother Ray, I'm sure, could, could attest. And Deanna, after being married for years and years, there's probably many different changes that happen at different phases in life. Think about the things that you go through. I don't want to get stuck on this point, but I mean, you go through having children, you go through loss, you go through trials. All of those things are shaping and changing you all the time. Okay, so the, the commitment to, to marriage is not, I, I'm, I'm committing to love you right now, who you are, as you are right now, and if anything changes, then I'm absolved of that. No, it's, it's a universal command. It's a command uh, that there are no exceptions or excuses for. I don't find her attractive anymore. Or she doesn't love me. Or I fell out of love. None of those are acceptable in God's sight. This is a command for a continual kind of love. Love here is seen as an action. You, I'm sure you've heard that before. I know I've said it before. Love is a verb. It's something that's commanded. We treat love in Western culture as just simply equated with a feeling. And so that's why people can say, I fell out of love. Well, yes, there are moments and there are even seasons when I don't feel a strong affection for my wife or she doesn't feel that strong affection for me because emotions are up and down, right? But that doesn't mean in that moment that I'm no longer commanded to love her. It's an action, first of all. It does involve our emotions. And if you don't have any kind of affection for, for your spouse, there's, there's problems there uh, for sure. But it involves, first of all, a commitment to act for the good of that person, whether you feel like it in the moment or not. It's not just simply an, an emotion. Now what we see here, what I've already been alluding to, is that Jesus' sacrifice is what defines this love. Some people have looked at this word and said, let's define this word from, a, from an etymological standpoint, you know, just a dictionary definition. Let's do some word studies and try to find out the kind of love that this love is. And there's benefit to all of that. But listen, this morning, what defines this word love is the context and is, is what Jesus has done for us. It is the gospel. It is the sacrificial love that Christ has for us that led him to lay down his life. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And let me define what that is and gave himself up for her. He sacrificially laid down 
his life for his wife because he loved her. You know, we can use that word sacrificial in sort of a non-threatening kind of way, right? We, we lose all the gore and the blood because we're not involved in kind of regular sacrifices where something is, is killed. But sacrifice is ugly. Sacrifice is serious. We, we say things like, could you sacrifice a little bit of your time? Or maybe you could sacrifice a few, do- a few dollars to help us out here. No, this, this means lay down your life. That's what it's talking about. When, when it talks about giving himself for the church, it's talking about his sacrifice. It's talking about him dying on the cross. And that's what you are called to do for your wife, to lay down your life for her. The cross is definitional for our understanding of love. Listen to Ephesians 5.2. The, the Bible does this. Paul does this. He defines love in light of the cross, but he's not the only one. John does it as well. In Ephesians 5.2, therefore be imitators as beloved children, imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. See, that's you, you are to love one another. Well, what does that mean? It means that you're to lay down your life for one another as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. 1 John 3.16 By this we know love. The Christian view of love is defined in this way, that he laid down his life for us. So whatever the world might define as love, Whatever they might put as their definition of love, Christians, this is our definition of love. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. It's him dying in your place, laying down his life to save you. That's the definition. Paul says in in Galatians 2 as well, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And guess what? Gave himself for me. He didn't just, he wasn't just cordial to me. He wasn't just nice. He wasn't friendly. His love was a sacrificial kind of love. Husbands, that is what we are called to do. We are called to sacrifice our life, to lay down our lives for our spouse. Now, you might hear that and you just think of immediately comes to your mind, you know, jumping in front of a car or uh, jumping in front of a shooter or something like that to save your, your wife's life. And if that were the case, I'm, ho- I'm hopeful that men, we, we would step up in that one-time kind of heroic act. But this isn't just in the case. When we talk about sacrificial love, we're not just talking about jumping in front of a moving car. It, it means something every bit as serious, though, even if it's not as dramatic. It means this, at least I think. It, it means giving up your selfish self-focused way of living and living each and every day with your wife's good as your priority. So I'm going to stop thinking about myself. I'm going to stop thinking about what I want out of this situation, how I want my day to go, the way I want to spend my time, the things I want to do, how I want to spend money, where I want to go. I'm going to start laying those things aside or at least making them secondary in order to pursue the the needs and the pleasure of my wife. To love her this way means you lay aside your interests to pursue her interests. It means that you put 
your pleasure on the altar and kill it, slaughter it, so that you can pursue her pleasure. Husband, this means uh, you do not do as you please. That's the way most of us live life, right? We do as we please. But this, what this means is you do what pleases your spouse. That's your priority. We think again about Christ in Romans 15. It says that Christ did not please Himself. He did not please Himself. We see that in the garden, right? What was His prayer in the garden of Gethsemane before He was going to the cross? Lord, let this cup pass from Me. But He laid that aside. He did not please Himself. What would have been pleasing to His, his flesh, his, his body, was not to go through all of that pain and suffering. He laid that aside so that He could die for the church in that sacrificial act. That's what we're called to do. Not please ourselves. Husbands, far too many of us, that's our, that's our goal in life. That's our animating, motivating force in our life. What pleases me? It's all about me and what I want. And this is a call to lay that aside and not please ourselves, but instead please our spouse. You know, in some ways, I think it might be easier for some of us to think this could be like a one-time heroic act and I jumped in front of a car and then it's all over. But, but in a lot of ways, this is actually something more difficult than that. Right, that split second, spur of the moment decision to 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 sacrifice your life is is in some ways more easier uh, than day by day getting up each day and saying, "I'm not going for what I want today. I'm not putting priority on what I want and what pleases me. I'm going to put priority on what pleases the Lord and then what pleases my spouse. I'm going to live for her instead of living for myself." In a lot of ways, that's a much slower, more painful death, especially for those of us who are so focused on our own flesh and pleasing our flesh. So let me give you some practical examples of what this may look like. I want to use these examples, and in some ways I feel like this trivializes because this is a very serious, a very serious call for us to sacrifice and lay down our lives. And yet I think these are the exact kind of things, the exact kind of scenarios that I see in my own life, in the life of other men that I know where, where this is going to manifest itself. These are just the down-to-earth, everyday issues that I, that I see in life. So this may mean sacrificing yourself for your wife may mean that you really love hunting, but in a certain season of your life, in the life of your family, you just don't get to do it as much as you'd like or, or at all. This may mean uh, that though your wife does not fulfill all of your sexual desires, you refuse to turn to pornography. For some, this might mean working more hours to provide financially for your spouse that's the way that this text might apply in your life for others of you it might actually mean working fewer hours so that you can be at home and be with your wife to meet her relational needs because you're living to please her and not please yourself she's the priority and not what you want this may mean working very hard to change your communication style learning to tone down your voice so she doesn't perceive that you're yelling at her all the time or maybe opening up in conversation so she knows what's going on in your world. And for some of you men, you don't want to do that. That doesn't please you. You don't, this, you don't think, I'm going to get home and spend time talking to my wife. right? That's, that's not high on your priority list. That's not what pleases you. But if, if 
if you're sacrificing your life for her, if you're laying down your life for her, that may be exactly what you're called to do. This may mean that even though your wife doesn't respect you like she should, you lay down your right to defend yourself and overlook that offense. This might mean that even though you had certain expectations for marriage and for what your family would look like, you give those up in order to love the spouse that God has actually given to you and the family that He's given to you. I've seen too many wives crushed under the burden of their husband's ideal of what marriage and family should be like. Too many wives that are living under that burden of not not meeting his expectations. And what's going on in his heart is he's got this idol that he's holding up. This is what I want in marriage. And and it doesn't matter if I crush my wife to get that. That's what I'm going to get. This may mean for some of you men uh, that you put on pause, life on pause, while you help your wife through a difficult season of life, whether that's depression or physical illness it it might mean that your wife is no longer as physically attractive as she once was but you continue to express interest in her this might look like you working for 10 to 12 hours and then coming home and talking with your spouse because that's what she needs this might mean it might look like you really wanting that new gun or that new four-wheeler or golf clubs or boats or yada 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 on and on and on the list could go but giving that up Because leading your family into debt just to satisfy those kind of trivial desires isn't serving them well. You're laying that down. You're sacrificing those things that that you want. In the end, this really could mean a thousand different things, right? In your context, in your relationship, it could look much different than anything that uh, that I've said here. But the underlying principle is always there. I'm laying aside my self-interest and instead prioritizing the good of my wife. That's the way, husbands, if you're a Christian this morning, that's the way that you're called to live in this marriage. And it's not an ideal. It's it's not just this nice notion uh, that we can put up here and say, this is what Christian marriage should be like. This is what we should be pursuing in a daily, uh, on an ongoing daily basis. Husbands, your love should be a sacrificial love, but secondly, it should be a sanctifying love. Your love should be a sanctifying love. So we see in this that, that Christ's sacrifice had a purpose. We see three so that's in these verses. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. And then verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In other words, what this is saying is that Christ's sacrifice for you uh, wasn't just merely to deliver you or save you from the penalty of your sin. It was that for sure. Christ died so that we would not have to bear the penalty of our sin. But Christ had another purpose, and that is to actually purify your life from sin. He's in the process of sanctifying you, uh, of getting rid of sin out of your life and actually making you holier and holier as time goes by. That's his purpose for the church. So, So church, just the application here is we ought to be pursuing that sanctification in our lives. The the process began when we were saved and we see in verse 26 that when we heard the gospel and and believed we were we were cleansed by the washing of water with 
the Word. It, it had a cleansing effect on us. And now God is in the process, Christ is in the process of in an ongoing kind of way purifying us uh, and, and delivering us not only from the penalty of our sin, but from the power and presence of our sin. And then it looks forward, the, the second two of those so that's, look forward to the conclusion of that process, which, which we see will be in heaven when, when Christ returns. And, and, and that is in verse uh, 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. This washing is pictured as a, as a physical kind of washing, but, it, but it gets, it's a kind of washing that is somewhat miraculous. It gets rid of wrinkles and spots and blemishes and, and everything. But, but it's just a picture for what Christ is doing to us. And one day, when Christ returns, that process will be completed and we will be completely washed and cleansed. We, we will have no spot or wrinkle or any kind of blemish. And it's talking about clearly a spiritual kind of, of cleansing. We'll, we'll be completely holy. That's Christ's purpose for us. And listen, that's a glorious thought for all Christians. The thought of heaven, one of the, one of the really exciting things about heaven, and if you're a Christian, you, you know this, right? One of the really exciting things about heaven is not just the streets of gold or the beauty of the, everything that's going to be there, but it's going to be the reality that we're going to be done with sin. Like you won't have the struggles that you have anymore because Christ has washed you and cleansed you. He has sanctified you. Aren't, aren't you glad? Aren't you longing for that day when temptation isn't a struggle anymore? Aren't you longing for that day when, when that anger and, and, and when that bitterness and the things that you struggle with is just gone? Praise the Lord. I, I, I think we should be looking forward to that day. I know the Apostle Paul was in Romans 7. He says, wretched man that I am. He just recognizes his sinfulness. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, he responds, because God is doing that. God is delivering me from this sinful body. And so there's more that could be said about that. And we could talk a lot about the process of sanctification and Christ's purpose and all of that. But listen, the goal in this text is not really to give us a, a, a theological lesson on sanctification. The goal is to help us see that our love, husbands, for our wives should reflect the love that Christ has for the church. The first thing that we saw was that Christ's love was sacrificial. But the second thing that we see here is that Christ's love for the church is sanctifying. It's a love that is concerned with our holiness. It's a love that is concerned with our growth in the image of Christ and with getting rid of sin out of our lives. Listen, what this means then, I think, is, is that yes, we ought to care about the emotional condition of our wives. Yes, we ought to care about the physical needs of our wives and we ought to be seeing to it. But what this, I think, implies is that we ought to also be caring about the spiritual needs of our wives. We need to be concerned that our wives know Christ. We need to be concerned that they are growing in the image of Christ. We need to be concerned that, that day by day they are being cleansed from sin and becoming more and more like Jesus. Husbands, you should be concerned about the spiritual well-being of your wife. How can our love 
be a sanctifying level. Let me give you just a few quick things here. First of all, uh, we, we should not encourage or promote any sinful behavior. We just simply shouldn't do that. Husbands, if you are encouraging your wife in sin, like that goes directly against the heart of love that we should have. We, we should be concerned that they're growing in the image of Christ, not trying to nudge them towards sinful behavior. This also means, I think, and there's more that could be said on that, but this also means that we should not sin against her. Like when, when we're constantly sinning against our spouse, we're creating an environment in which it's easier for her to sin in response to that. Right? She's ultimately responsible. You, you can't make someone sin. It's her choice, but we're creating an environment uh, that, that she's more inclined to do that. And then I would say this, lead her in the truth. Encourage her to be in the Word. Learn together. Study the Word together. Pray with her. Pray for her. Encourage her engagement in spiritual things. Encourage her to be in church and to worship the Lord. And so often, husbands are the ones who are dragging their wives away from church. They're, they're the ones kind of pulling them away. Husbands, we should be leading on that front and, and, and encouraging them to engage in these things. Listen, husbands, as your wife gets older, she will have probably more spots and more blemishes and some wrinkles. No, nobody throw anything at me. Physically. She should have those things. She will have those things. But the longer she is the recipient of your love and your loving leadership, she should have fewer of those things spiritually. So she may be getting some wrinkles on the outside, but those wrinkles and those blemishes should be getting cleaned up on the inside. And that should be in response to the way that you are lovingly leading her to know Christ. Husbands, love your wives thirdly with a sustaining love. Uh, the, the next point picks up on, on a slightly different analogy. It was Christ in the church. Now he says, husbands, you are to love your wives as your, as your own body. So he picks up on, on this analogy and, and says it ought to be the way that you care and nourish your own body is the way that you ought to love your wives. Here he begins to focus on a person's care of his own body and use that for uh, an analogy. You see this in verse 31. Therefore a man uh, shall leave his father and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. He's saying here, uh, you should love your wife as your own body. And the reason that that is the case is because in one sense she very much is. What he's teaching here is that there's a spiritual union in marriage. He's not saying so much hey, this is just a helpful analogy for us to think about. You know the way you care for your body? That's a good analogy for you to think about how you should care for your wife. He's actually making a, a much deeper uh, point than that, something that's, that's much greater. He's saying this, when God created marriage, He brought men and women together and He brings them together in a spiritual union that makes them one. And so husbands, you should love your wife because... It's really like she's your own body. You're one with her. God has brought you that that passage is from from Genesis uh, chapter one. When God creates man and woman and creates the institution of marriage, he says the two shall become one flesh, one body. There is a union within marriage that means that we in God's sight are one. 
in a spiritual sense, you're one with your wife. Your life is merged together through marriage. So your treatment of her is really, in a sense, the way that you treat yourself. And he says there, nobody ever treats his flesh bad. No, nobody treats his own body bad, right? You don't just walk over, you know, go over to Jared's house and he's just there whacking his hand with a hammer on purpose, right? That, that's crazy. People don't do that. I mean, maybe somebody with some kind of mental deficiency would do that, but nobody in their right mind is just going to cut off their arm on purpose, right? We don't do that. We care for, we nurture, we, we cherish our physical bodies. And he's saying, listen, your wife is really one with you. And so you ought to treat her in that same way. It only makes since this is why Jesus said divorce was wrong because he says God's united you together and what God has joined together let not man separate don't don't let anyone separate and try to break that oneness that union this is also what's pictured in our sexual union we are doing physically what what has occurred spiritually and so since our wife becomes one with us through marriage our love should be marked by the kind of nurturing care that we have for our own body. Those words there in verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. She's talking about tender care. This is a word that is even used of, of nursing mothers in one place, of the tender care, the compassion that they have for, for their child. Husbands were to have that sensitivity that care, we care for them, but we do it even in a nurturing, in a, in a sensitive way, in a compassionate way. So we need to be sure that we are meeting this need. You know, this is one of the areas that I think um, husbands struggle with so much. They say, yeah, I love my wife, but, but you're not expressing it in a way that can be received by your wife because you're not doing it in a nurturing and, and a cherishing way in a tender, compassionate kind of way, okay? It's great that you go to work and work hard for her, but she needs some love that is tender and compassionate, and she needs you to interact with her in that way. It's a sustaining kind of love. And then finally this morning, we see that our love is a symbolic kind of love. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. We see in verse 32, he says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. We saw what back in Genesis when God created marriage, he said, the two shall become one flesh. And, and this is what Paul has been hammering on here and dealing with here. And, and now he's saying, listen, what that means is that that is a picture of what Christ has done for the church. The, the, in other words, marriage for us helps explain our relationship to Christ and the church. This oneness that is brought about through marriage is reflective of the kind of oneness that is brought about between the church and Christ, between us and Christ through the gospel. In the same way that husbands and wives become one, so we become one with Christ. And that's what he's saying. He says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. He's, he's talking about the immediately preceding verse in which he says, uh, which he quotes Genesis, where the two shall become one flesh. He's like, that's a great mystery, two becoming one flesh. But I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church becoming one. 
In other words, what this means is that when God created marriage, He created it to be a picture of the Gospel. Again, this goes back to the idea that it wasn't as if Paul's just sitting around, what are, what are some good analogies I could use for marriage? Oh yeah, how about the Gospel? That, that, that works. No, when God created marriage, He created it in such a way that it could be an illustration, a living illustration for what happens in the Gospel. We become one with Christ. What this means then, husbands, as I close this morning, is just simply this. Your marriage should be a good picture of the Gospel. It should be a good picture of the Gospel. Christ sacrificed Himself to make us one. He nurtures us. He cares for us as His own body. And, and your marriage is meant to, to reflect that. And so live that out. Let, let your marriage be a good picture of the Gospel. Don't be preaching a false Gospel through the way that you live in your marriage. It should be a picture of a, a loving, sacrificial, sanctifying kind of love that you have for your wife. Let's close in a word of prayer this morning. Lord, we come to you and we do pray for each of the men in this uh, church this morning especially. We, we pray that you would help us, grant us the grace that we need uh, to be the kind of husbands that we ought to be. Lord, we fall dramatically short in so many areas and especially in this area. God, help us to grow. Help us to be sanctified that we might have a sanctifying love for our spouses. God, I pray that Union Baptist Church would be the kind of place that begins to shine the light of the gospel through the way that we live uh, in our marriages. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.